0: You are listening to Myth Behaving, a podcast with a little bit of attitude on the literary world. Won't you come Myth Behave with us? Hello, and welcome to Myth Behaving. This is episode number 26 of the Myth Behaving podcast, and we're recording on February the 9th, 2014. I'm Carla Clifton. And I am joined by my normal co-host and partner in crime, Mayor Wilson. Hey, Mayor, how are you? I'm fine, darling. How are you doing today? Awesome. Is it cooled
1: down over there yet or heated up or something? I know you were having wacky weather over there in Texas.
0: Well, it's still wacky, but it was like almost 70 degrees today. So it was awesome. I don't think I love you anymore (laughs) at 70 degrees. (laughs) (laughs) It was actually very awesome. (laughs)
1: I'm not sure what ours is, but it's not 70 degrees. No, I'm glad you had lovely weather. (laughs) Hello, listeners. Each Myth-Behaving show features a very special guest from the literary world. It can be a writer, a publisher, an agent, editor, anybody from the, the world of publishing.
0: Plus, we have several special segments related to reading or writing. Be
1: very quiet when writing books in the library of a myth behavior. That means it's time for something from the library of a myth behavior. Today I'm recommending Enhanced by Courtney Farrell. This is a young adult dystopian sci fi novel and it was excellent. The writing was crisp, it was clean. I thoroughly enjoyed the characters. The story sucked me. Right in. Of course, I, I love sci-fi. I love dystopian. So, so going into that world was incredible. Uh, Michelle is the heroine. She's, she's enhanced, but in spite of being enhanced, she's flawed. She's, she's very flawed. And I, I loved that because she was kind of perfectly enhanced yet so flawed as a character and that was just such a nice twist the rest of the characters were also intriguing the world building was fascinating with this so highly recommend enhanced
0: and that must mean that our special guest today is Courtney Farrell welcome to the show Courtney and thank you so much for joining us hi I'm so happy to be here well, we're thrilled to have you chat with us. You've had
1: such an interesting career so far. Uh, you were a biologist. You've you've written this young adult genre, but also you've written fourteen nonfiction books for young adults. Courtney, how did you get into this, and how did you take the leap from nonfiction to fiction?
2: Well, honestly, the nonfiction was really depressing because they, these were books that they wanted for school libraries mostly so they had to be about issues and all the issues are difficult issues like terrorism or child trafficking and oh I just sobbed all the way through that child trafficking book and finally I just figured made-up stories are going to be much better for me.
0: I cannot even imagine the topics that you had to write for if you were writing for a school library. I mean, especially yeah, things like that. Yeah, especially something like child trafficking. I mean, I would be like you; I would be crying through the whole thing.
1: Yeah, was, fiction uh, is is a lot easier on the soul, I think. <laughs> I guess so. But what what got you into writing to begin with? Uh, I know you 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 come to us from the world of biology.
2: I would have been a writer in the first place if I thought I could make a living at it. I only went into science because I was concerned, you know, I had to pay the bills. So I did that, but I always felt my whole life like I was pregnant with books. You know, I had two children, but I was also pregnant with books at the same time. And finally, in my middle age, I started writing. I'm really glad I did. I'm glad you did, too, because I really enjoyed your book. Oh, thanks.
0: Of Truth
2: and misery.
0: Of Truth and Mythery is a segment where we take a commonly held publishing or writing belief and examine whether it's true or just another myth. Courtney, feel free to answer this for us. Changing your author brand can be beneficial. Is that true or just another myth?
2: Personally, I wouldn't change mine. If I was to write children's books and the YA sci-fi that I write and perhaps something like erotica, I would do it all under the same name. I would keep all my same branding. I think that authors get recognized. And, you know, the mom who buys your book for her kid might like a little something for herself too, right? So she might pick the same author, even though that same author writes in different genres.
1: Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. Um I like that although I don't not so sure if I'd write erotica under my
2: name <laughs> I'd be too embarrassed I think. I don't do that so I don't have that problem. Yeah,
1: my 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 books are pretty far from erotica. Um I have a lot of friends who write erotica though and uh fascinating their their writing is beautiful. Their writing is just absolutely fabulous. And do. they don't change their brands either. They they
2: flip-flop from from one to the other. Oh, really, they do. And then they walk right in that PTA meeting and they're like, hi, I'm Timmy's mom and I write erotica. That's <laughs> awkward.
1: But you're right because, you know, people, you know, we have we have this, um, you see this discussion so often in writers groups, the, the erotica group versus the the um, the non-erotica group and especially with young adults that they would be worried that it, they're worried that it, it's going to affect their readership. But you made a very, very solid point there with the fact that the mom just might very well want something. Look how popular Fifty Shades was. And you know that was moms. There was a lot of moms reading that. Sure. So exactly, I know you mentioned that you had all these stories, but think back to the very, very first
2: one. What what got you into writing? What What attracted you about it? Seriously, it was kind of funny. I don't know what I was thinking. I've always been able to get a job wherever I go. I'm just one of those people that can find a job. And so we move out to the middle of the Pike National Forest in Colorado. There's pretty much trees as far as the eye can see. What was I thinking? I'm going to get a job in the nearby small town where there's like a feed store and a hardware store. No, I couldn't find a job. So I'm sitting at home. You know, I was getting a little desperate. I had bills to pay. And while you're searching online for a job, it was really easy to find Writing gigs that were out there. Freelance Daily was one little newspaper that lists writing opportunities, and I started with that. Just started landing jobs right away. That's fabulous.
0: It's time for MythPrint tips and tricks of the industry. It's time for another one of our special segments. MythPrint includes a basic tip concerning writing, marketing, or anything else to do with the industry. Courtney, could you share some
2: tips with us on writing for young adults? Sure. I think for young adult writing, the voice is everything. It really helped me when I switched to first person. You can really channel that teen voice. And I would recommend that people who aren't really comfortable with teen slang, just don't go there because if you don't use it right, it's going to scream out to every teen that reads it, and may, the adults might not really quite notice that you're you're just a tiny bit off, and it'll come out sounding awkward. I remember my mom trying to use teen slang to us when we were in high school. She was trying to be a cool mom, but we just giggled our faces off in the back seat of the car. She would buy, "Is that cool?" She'd say, "Is that cool?" And we'd be like, "Um, no, mom, don't try." <laughs> so you know, if you can get it right, do it. Otherwise. That slang is going to date your book too. That's a good point. Although "cool" has been around for a
1: long time, I don't know right. if the kids are saying it these days. But uh, right.
2: I still say it. The way she said it was funny, though. It was. She didn't say "cool." She said "cool wool," and we're like, "No, that is not cool. <laughs> it's just not." <laughs> Writing
1: is such a process of so many things. What do you love most about what you do?
2: I love being a professional daydreamer. I'm just <laughs> a really bad daydreamer. I will sit there and if something gets boring, I'll glaze over. I'll start watching the movies behind my eyes. And then people are like, hey, Courtney, pay attention. You know, what's going on here? And if it's a, a meeting at work or something, that does not look too sharp. But now it's what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm like, I'm being creative. I'm in my process. <laughs> so, oh, my flaw became became a positive for me there. I think oh, I, awesome. I love that answer. <laughs> yeah, me too. Okay.
0: Is there anything about the process that you don't like?
2: Well, I don't have particularly fond memories of sending my submissions in and waiting. It is just so neurosis-inducing because you put your heart and soul into your books And I'm sure any artist does into whatever their project is. And then all the critics are all over it. You know, do they like it? Do they not? You know, will I hear back from the publishing company? All that stuff is just really very generates a lot of insecurity for me. So I'm glad I have a critique group and I have a lot of friends that are authors because we support each other. Makes us feel better. I can see that. I can see that too. Courtney, what do you do differently in your writing
1: process when you write? Fiction versus your nonfiction, other than cry. <laughs>
2: right? <laughs> My nonfiction, it had to be outlined, and the outline had to be approved by the editorial company before I got started. And then I had to really keep track of all those facts because I had teams of fact checkers coming in after me. Some of the stuff I wrote might have sounded a little controversial to people, depending on whether you believe in global warming or not, whether you believe overpopulation is a problem or not. Things like that. So you have to have, you have to fact check all the way through. So it's a matter of keeping really careful notes and being super organized. And with the fiction writing, I don't have to do that. There's no facts to be checked. I made them all up.
0: Yeah, but I mean, it, I would still think that you would need to write some, I mean, have some fact checking, especially if it's a sequel book, you know, it, it, because if you referred to something in the first one, so... I think that you probably have to do
2: some fact-checking. You know, I reread the first book cover to cover before I started the second book because I wanted to make sure I had everything correct and the timeline was was um, legit. I didn't mess that up. Well, that's cool.
0: That's, that's fact-checking. <laughs> <I, so. laughs> yeah, but it's fun fact-checking. <laughs> exactly. It's not that morbid stuff that you have to worry about. Really hard facts, yeah. So, Well, authors work in so many different ways. Are you a planner outlining everything? I think we just basically answered that. But making extensive notes? Or are you a pantser flying by the seat of your pants and just
2: sort of letting the book go wherever it will? I'm definitely a pantser. I tried to be a planner, and I got a plan in my head. And then I became overwhelmed with the excitement of it all and started writing. And it worked for me. But I did have the beginning, middle, and end in mind. And that did help a lot. That's cool. No, let me rephrase that. Yeah. That's cool.
0: I like that word. <laughs> yeah. You realize
1: she's gonna be saying this. I'm gonna be hearing this cool <laughs> from Carla. I like <laughs> you know, it. <laughs> you make a you make a really good point though, Courtney. Um I, I'm I'm wondering though, because you said that you have a beginning, a middle and an end. I do that too and I consider myself a pantser. But how much are we really Planning in our head. We may not put it down on paper, but we're still doing, I think, some planning in our heads. We just don't put it down on paper, I think. And then, we can, and then we can be, we can be like, oh, squirrel, and go off in a completely different, different direction when something, um, doesn't go the way we had it
2: in our head. Have you ever had that happen? Right. Have you ever had it happen where you say to somebody, I didn't know that character was going to do that. And oh yeah, like, absolutely. I would not know you wrote it. You're like, I don't know. It was just it's a movie that happens behind your eyes. It's a giant daydream. And suddenly someone does something and you write it down. Yeah. I agree.
1: I agree. And that is so cool. Um, in book one, I had no idea Jones was a daemon. No clue. No clue when I started off. I thought he was a serial killer. I had no yeah. idea what else he was.
2: So we were all surprised.
1: Yeah, I was surprised right along with everybody else. <laughs> So what's next for you, Courtney? Can
2: we expect another fiction book from you soon, I hope? I've got two more projects in the pipeline. One of them is the sequel to Enhanced, and that book is called Sacrificed. It just finished its editing process at Crescent Moon Press, and next step will be it gets its cover. That's always the most exciting part for me, seeing the beautiful covers. And then I have another book in line that is not part of that same series. So it's the third book I ever wrote, but it's not the third book in the series. This book is called Bait, and it's about a sentient disease that attacks the planet, and it kills just about all the females. So our protagonist is one of the last surviving females in a world where girls have become a commodity. Ooh. Oh, that, sounds, that sounds cool. It's, it's amazing. I'm so excited about it. If I do say so myself. Well, you're allowed to say so. You're allowed to toot your own horn
1: on this show.
0: Oh. Well, we've seen a lot of changes in the industry just in the last couple of years. How do you feel about the changes and how they may have impacted your own work?
2: They definitely impacted my own decision to pub- to publish traditionally initially because I was honestly looking for that seal of approval from the world to go, okay, stamp, you're good, and I can then feel good inside because I've you know been accepted by an agent, a publishing company, and then getting farther into the process, I'm a lot more interested now in self-pubbing because I'm starting to see about the marketing angle. I'm doing a lot of my own marketing, which of course I would do as a self-published author too. But as a self-pubber, I might keep a larger share of my profits, and I would keep a larger share, and that. That's really enticing to me at this point. Yeah, that's a good point. Plus the control factor. Mm hmm, exactly. And you can still have pretty covers. Right, right. I know some good cover artists now. <laughs> I do too. Yeah. Sh- we'll share later.
0: <laughs> the myth number is.
1: And now it's time for MythNomer, our word or phrase for the day. And today's phrase is genre bending. Courtney, so many novels today can be classified by several genres. Is this a trend that will last, do you think? And what are your own thoughts on genre bending?
2: I'm all for it. My books are sci-fi romances. So my, my books are already genre benders. And I think, especially because so many readers are now finding their books online. They might use search terms to find a book in a, in a, in something that they're interested in, right? So if I have two genres, I'm now tapping into two markets instead of one. The only thing is you need to be able to at least pigeonhole it well enough to market it. I had a friend who wrote an excellent book, but it's a, an erotic comedy and he's trying to Self, he's trying to traditionally publish it rather, not self-publish it. And it gets rave reviews by all the publishers and then they pass because they say, we don't know how to pigeonhole this. We don't know how to sell it to our marketing department. So I think there are some challenges there, but also a lot of positives. Yeah, I...
1: I've, I've- Love genre b- bending, obviously, since I write it too. I, di- I really thought my series was, was just, you know, kind of urban fantasy paranormal, but then we got the, the, the sci-fi element came in super hard, super fast. So that has just really changed the whole, my whole focus. It's, it's, right. you're right. It, it becomes an interesting problem because it, it becomes, okay, um, I'm marketing this. So now I'm marketing it as genre
2: bending. Ah, good idea. And it changes which conventions you attend, doesn't it? Well, since I haven't attended any yet except for
1: one um, where I was on the panel at the Big Orange Book Festival last year was all, is the only one I've been to, that, yeah, soon, Courtney, soon, we will meet up at conventions. We will. It'll be a blast.
0: (laughs) I'll just plan on on coming to Space City Con next year down here in Houston, Texas.
2: Yeah. I'm going been, to the reader cons. Those are there's one coming up in uh, Phoenix and another one in New Orleans. Well, now, which part of the country are you in, Courtney? I'm Colorado. Oh, you're right in
1: the middle. So you're 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 over there near Carla.
0: Kind of between us both. Yeah. Kind of
1: sort of. Kind of sort. of. Yeah, I I've, I've been trying to figure out a way to get to a Texas con, so yeah.
0: Yeah, it's going to be fun. Well, now comes another fun thing. If you could have a dinner party with any seven people, living, dead, or fictional, who
2: would you include? Let's see. I think I would start with my favorite fictional character. You ever read anything by Robert Heinlein? I haven't. Yes. He had a book, Time Enough for Love, which I loved. One of my first sci-fi books ever. And his character was Lazarus Long. And I would throw him in there at the table. And then how about we'll put him next to Bono from U2 because he's Ooh. hot. And the doll <laughs>
1: Ew. Yeah, I wasn't sure. That's why I was laughing, Carla. Come on. T- t- spit it no, out. I an, like, Ooh. Ooh. Ew. <laughs> no, I was laughing.
0: No, it wasn't an ew. It was an oo. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> that was, that was a much better line reading.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Courtney. That's two. Okay. We'll add the Dalai Lama. All right. And then here's an author I've been reading lately. Do you know who Derek Jensen is? I don't. He's an environmentalist, and he's very passionate about the damage civilization has done to the planet. And he's really out on the fringe, and I think he'd be exciting because he advocates dismantling civilization. Wouldn't it be fun to have a guy like that at the table and just see oh, yeah. where the conversation goes? We might all want to kill him by the time it's over. But yeah! get put him by the Dalai Lama. <laughs> the Dalai Lama. This no, I think they get along, actually. they probably agree. Okay, so who else? Um, Rasputin. You know the mystic from the court of right. Nicholas. Nicholas? Uh, we'll put him in there because he's fascinating choice. And we'll put him with author and Wiccan priestess Starhawk. We'll listen to what they have to say to each other. And then I think I'm a little short on girls, aren't I? Aren't I short on girls? Hello. I put a lot of men in here. Why did I do that? I think we should add a girl. How about Malala, that brave little girl that was shot by the Taliban for wanting to go to school? Oh yeah, she's awesome. She's so amazing.
1: What a fabulous list! Was that seven? I lost count.
0: I was so interested in what she was saying. (laughs) Well, I couldn't help myself. All I could think of was Bono. (laughs) Carla stopped counting after I did
1: after Bono. What question do you never get asked, Courtney, that you really wish someone would ask you in an interview? And then what would your answer be?
2: You know, nobody ever asked me the really true things that could kind of be construed as rude, like, hey, Courtney, what's with all those missed appointments? You know, what's going on with you? <laughs> and no one, ever, no one ever asks. Everyone's just so polite. So I think they ought to ask me that, like, what's going on with that? So I would have to admit that, I just practically have an out-of-body experience when I write. I get started. It might be 7 o'clock in the morning, and I blink, and it's 2. And I think, what happened to the day? What happened to the day? And then all of a sudden I realize, like, oh, I had a 1 o'clock dentist. (laughs) Whoops. (laughs) Sorry. And it just keeps happening. So I think that's what people should ask me, and I should just be able to say, look, I'm sorry. I can't help it. it. Blame it on the muse.
0: Good answer.
1: That's a great answer. I love that answer. You need a phone that tells you when to be places. That's yeah, what I have.
2: out loud. Yeah.
1: No, seriously. If I don't have everything plugged into my phone, I will
2: space it too. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything
1: goes into my phone. Oh, and I it have
2: it string down. It's on the phone. It's just I haven't got audio alerts, and that's what I need. Because it will send yeah. me emails, and that doesn't help if you're writing. Right. No, this
1: this will beep at you. I get these little beeps that tell me, ooh, something's happening and whatever. I, I've, I usually have two alerts set up. So, yeah, nice. that helps. That helps, believe it or not, because I was doing the same thing.
0: Well, everyone has their own personal myths, things a lot of people think about us that may or may not be true, their own personal myth behaviors. What myth behavior do people believe about you that is
2: absolutely not true? Well, I think once you get a book published, everyone imagines that you'll never have to work again. Like, oh, but she has a novel out, you know. And they probably imagine that I spend my day lying in cushions eating bonbons and, you know, watching Oprah or something. And I really work hard. I don't think anyone sees that because I work for myself. I work from home. So it just looks like I'm a housewife or something, or I'm just you know somehow, somehow independently wealthy, but it's not at all true. Great answer.
1: Now, what myth behavior do people believe about you that really is true? Let's
2: hear it. <laughs> well, I guess I do have a pretty sweet life because my life is a big writer's retreat. I've got a house in the mountains. I've got horses outside the door that I can look out the window and see. I've got three German shepherds, So, you know, my days are spent doing something creative, and then I have an awesome writers group called Fiction Foundry that I meet with, and we talk about our books and brainstorm new ones, and it's it's a lot of fun. So, I guess if they think I have a pretty cool life, I do.
0: That's awesome.
1: That is totally awesome. That's a great answer.
0: Well, Courtney, it's that time. It's the end of our show. Thank you so very much for being our guest. We really appreciate all the information that you've shared with us.
1: Well, thanks for, and for having- taking the time for, for, for being with us today. Uh, you've given us great information. You have just been absolutely inspiring uh, with, with some of your answers have been absolutely delightful. So it's been loads of fun having you on the show, Courtney.
2: I really appreciate it. It was fun.
0: Remember, everyone, you can go to MythBehaving.com for more information about Courtney Farrell and links to her books. You can also read her bio and find links to her social media.
1: And don't forget that you can download this episode on iTunes, or you can stream it right on the MythBehaving.com website.
0: Please take a moment to leave us a positive feedback on iTunes. It's how we move up that ladder.
1: And you can also subscribe to us on iTunes and never miss an episode.
0: Well thanks for tuning in to Myth Behaving. We'll see you again next time. I'm Carla. And I'm
1: Mare, and we are Myth Behaving, where reality meets fantasy. See you soon.